Welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia's podcast, the podcast where we look at legal and technical issues facing the Australian construction industry. My name's Melissa Yeo, and I'm chair of the Society's Communications Subcommittee. In this episode, we bring you part two of my discussion with Matthew Hickey of Level 27 Chambers in Brisbane and Petrina McPherson of Minter Ellison on the brave new world of online hearings. This episode kicks off with their top tips for ensuring your foray into online hearings goes smoothly and includes a fascinating discussion about lighting, green screens, and how online hearings afford an opportunity to advocate in ways you never considered before. I'd like to know more about cross-examining through an internet connection. I'm very, very curious uh, as to if it was what you expected it to be. The, the thing for me is that there are advantages and disadvantages. The advantages are and if your opponent hasn't thought carefully about how their witness is going to be framed up, mm. then you have an extreme close-up of a person that typically if you were cross-examining in a room, you wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, typically in most court or arbitral contexts, you would be in a room and they would be a number of metres away from you and you would have a general sense of when you're cross-examining where the pressure points are and how they're responding physically and where they're irritated by things or where they feel stressed by particular lines of inquiry. But but you're not, you don't see the whites of their eyes, mm. if you know what I mean. Whereas in video, you see it. Everything is, is given away, everything, unless your opponent has done what you should do, which is to give real thought to how you can most effectively frame up your witness so that they can be seen, but not so much that they give everything away. So would you sit them further back? I I think there's real strategy in this. I, 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 when we were conferring with our witnesses, um, I actually gave real thought to who do I want where? And, And in fact, part of the process of conferring with them was to say, listen, is this, because most of them were at home, is this where you're going to be to give evidence? Mm. Um, can you shut that window behind you and pull the blind because there's all of this glare? Can you ensure that you're this far away from the camera, not as close as you are now? You know, there are, again, it's that Cecil B. DeMille kind of stuff. There, there is advocacy in in how you stage witnesses. And I don't think any of that's improper. I think it's actually part of the advocate's job to think about, I'm leading the evidence from this person. Uh, how do I present them mm. to the people who are going to hear from them. So that's the that's the advantage in a way. You can stage manage how your witness will present on screen. But um, there's this really interesting thing with video, which is, you know, when we sit here in person and talk to each other, it's immediate. Mm. You know, I say something, you immediately respond, and, and we can feel this kind of visceral human interaction. It flows a lot easier than it does on a, on a totally. conference call or a webinar. <laughs> Whereas on a webinar, even with the fastest internet connection, there's this barely perceptible, and, and frankly, I think for the most part, it's imperceptible lag. There's a delay such that your brain recognises at a subconscious level, it's not immediate in the way it would be if we were here together. And that's both confusing at a subconscious level, but also tiring. Mm. And so when you're, when you're cross-examining a person, you expect particular kinds of responses, I suppose, and then you begin to second guess their responses. So you, you begin to sort of perceive, okay, well, they've responded in this kind of way, but it's not... Is it because of the delay? You know, this it's kind of mind chatter that goes on, I think, in that in that process, which is really um, quite interesting. And the other thing, of course, is that you don't have the immediate physicality of cross examination. Um, now, I'm not a I'm not a sort of table thumper and a shouter. I think most sort of sophisticated counsel these days tend not to be. But there is still 
a degree of physicality in the approach of cross-examining. You know, you, you have in your mind an idea of, well, when I get to this point, I'm going to craft the cross-examination so that I am exerting pressure on this person. And it's it, it's a uh, there is a physicality to that, which you can't do on screen. And one reason often is, um, depending on how you've set it up, you might well be presenting sitting down. And, and advocates in this jurisdiction often talk about how weird it feels to go to QCAT, for instance, the Civil and Administrative Tribunal here in Queensland, because you you make submissions sitting down rather than standing up. There's this kind of muscle memory in that. Um, so for me, that is probably one of the downsides of uh, of hearing in video is that you don't have that um, immediacy. And the other thing, of course, is, again, in a room like this, there's... You have control over the the volume of your voice. How how you hear me is something over which I have control. I can speak louder in this room altogether, and you you hear that because I control it. Whereas over a microphone, you know how I sound to you depends very much on what kind of speakers you have at your end, mm. um, how loud what or soft the guy you have from me turned Epic up. Is doing all of that, right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you lose you lose elements of control that that I think you take for granted as a as an advocate in person. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Another tip, big tip, if you're using a laptop, don't rest it on the desk. Bring it up to eye level. <laughs> <laughs> there was one particular witness who had a laptop and it was lower and yeah, you could see up his nose and it just looked That's wrong. It's never a good look. Never for a most good people. look. Yeah. So yeah. Can you tell me a few other things that we really need to bear in mind before we embark upon our first Online hearing? Well, trials are, I mean, they're called trials for a reason. As an old barrister once said to me, they're not called easies. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember at the time cringing, but I have found myself repeating that to to the solicitors, much to my own embarrassment a few times. It's amazing what sticks with you from your formative years. (laughs) So trials are inherently difficult. Doing it as a virtual hearing adds an extra layer of... Um, stress and it is a mentally taxing and exhausting way to conduct a hearing. I found myself shattered at the end of every day. You have to listen more closely. Mm. Uh, We found what worked best for us was we literally had to have almost a team of listeners. (laughs) So I was the main instructing solicitor and then I had a junior whose job was to write down questions so questions asked by the other side or by our counsel, and then one dedicated to writing down document numbers. So if we, what document was that? We, we just had it there because it was impossible for one person just to catch everything. And we didn't have a, um, a real-time transcript, so we only got the transcript at the end of each day. So we had to take good notes as we went through. So it required a bit of team effort to make sure mm. we captured everything. Make sure whatever you do, make sure you test the technology before <laughs> your first day of hearing. You would think that that would be obvious. Yeah, how it would no. Have a session with the arbitrator, with the other mm. side and test everything. Yep. And we did that and our test, thank God we did it because everything that could go wrong did go wrong. <laughs> and I remember walking out of the room going, oh, my God, this it's is going, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> this is never going to work. And sure enough, everything got sorted and by the Monday when we started, it was fine. So have a test rehearsal. Think about the formality. Uh, 
maybe because I'm a little bit of a stickler, I insisted that everyone who came into our hearing room dressed appropriately. Um, The men wore ties. We wore jackets. We treated it like a trial. We just had that mentality, um, which I think is important. You don't want to bring the relaxed attitude that has crept into some of the Zoom meetings that we've seen. And yeah. That's keep, quite an important point. Keep your Petrina. pants on. <laughs> Please. Especially if you're going to stand up. Yeah. But the formality thing is a really important one because it, it is, I think, um, because we have all been Zooming and what have you, and frequently from our homes. Uh, you know, we've been forgiving of each other in ways that I think are really great for the legal profession. You know, there's a there's a diminution of formality in places where we're all the better for it. But um, anecdotally, it's really interesting. I've spoken to judges here in Queensland who have said they've noticed, uh, or at least they did during the period where we were regularly conducting hearings electronically, a decline in formality, not so much in the way they were addressed or the way people were dressed, but... Um, Things like reading your material, for instance, formally saying, I read this and that and the other thing, things which barristers or solicitors would never sort of typically do in court because it's just part of the routine of, well, I go to court and I, I do these things. The, the technology means that it's easy to slip mm. out of the formality of the place. Mm. Um, and so I can't, I can't um, impress upon people enough that having something in place that reminds you we're in a formal process here so that you don't inadvertently slip out of it. Absolutely. And your point, Petrina, about keeping your pants (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, the entire point, I think we were discussing before recording, uh, uh, again, it it cannot be forgotten that court arbitral hearings, they command a level of respect Mm. and and that is conveyed um, through your attire, through the manner in which you present yourself. Mm. Absolutely. And and it's something that absolutely cannot be lost. Um, It is part of your advocacy as well before you open your mouth. Mm. And and certainly I would be horrified <laughs> if I knew that counsel on the other side um, was cross-examining from, you know, his his desk sans pants. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> With the boardies or less. Boardies. Yep. Absolutely a tie, a jacket, you know, mm. what have you. It, it it should I go expect- without saying. It should go without mm. saying. You should be rocking up as if you're rocking up to court. Absolutely. And it is court. Yep. Mm. Now, e-mediations. Mm. You guys done a couple of those? Yeah. I've, look, I've done um, a number of mediations this year, both as counsel um, for one of the parties and as a mediator. And uh, I think, again, it's going to be one of those things which will um, – which will stick around. I think, again, it goes without saying that it's better to do it in person. Mm. Um, But again, all of the things we've talked about, I suppose, in terms of hearings are equally applicable to that forum. Mm. Uh, And in particular, I think consideration needs to be given to who will appear on screen, Mm. how you will present yourselves on screen, um, who will do the talking, where they will be positioned by reference to microphones. And, for, and it's for this reason, I suppose, we all understand that in a, in a mediation, particularly in a plenary session, if there's a, a degree of animosity between the parties, there's that sort of sticky, awkward feeling around the table when mm. nobody can look each other in the eye and, mm. you know, you can feel the hostility boiling from, from opposite sides of the table. That can be exacerbated, was my observation, when, for instance, one party um, is sitting in a room all together and so they appear small on screen, Mm. but another party appears with their solicitor 
in one screen and their party separately together. So the party, one party assumes visually greater yeah. significance than the other party. And Through again, an it's, accident of technology. Yeah, quite. And, and again, it's a, it's a subconscious kind of thing, but it sets a kind of a tone uh, where one party sort of thinks, well, that, that other person who's on their own on the screen seems to have an awful lot more to say. And, and what's been really interesting for me as a mediator is to see the way the technology has disrupted more than perhaps it usually does, the ability for people to, to move from their entrenched positions. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting kind of thing. I must say I've found the technology, if used well, very good. Mm. Uh, that is to say if you're being mediated by somebody who understands the way Take Zoom, for instance, has the ability to have breakout rooms so that you can very quickly move from one space to another and then bring everybody back together and then send them all back out into their rooms again. It's mm. actually really quite efficient. Mm. Um, but if you're not being, if you're in a mediation where people don't know how that technology works, it's so laborious and time consuming. So I, I guess I would say to people, if you're a mediator, then for God's sake, get on top of the technology. Yeah. If you are the mediated, then insist upon people who know how the technology works. And if you're sold a pup, you know, if the mediator says, oh, I know how it works, and then you turn up and find they don't know how it works, then have a quiet word after the fact. Because I, I actually do think it behoves all of us now, until there's a vaccine, mm. to get to use these tools. You know, we, our primary, our secondary obligation after the duty to the court is to the clients, of mm. course. And so you don't do them any favours if you can't use these basic tools. That's right. Um, so all of the things we've said about hearings apply equally, it seems to me, to mediations. You need to give thought to the technology. In the mediations I've been involved where they've been most successful, people have been willing ahead of time to agree protocols. Mm. This is the platform we'll use. These are the people who will be there. Mm -hmm. This is who will control who comes and goes. This is the person that will send the invitation out. All of that kind of stuff um, needs to be thought of ahead of time. And again, document management. You need to have somebody who's controlling um, the documents that we're all seeing at the same time. Yeah. And and again, if it gets to the point of trading drafts uh, of deeds at the end of the mediation, mm. how are we going to exchange them? Uh, is it as simple as just emailing them to one another? Are we going to display it on the screen and talk it through? Um, these are things which if you give some thought to ahead of time, you're more likely to resolve yeah. successfully at mediation if you're doing it electronically. Mm. One thing I'd, I'd like to just pick up on, you mentioned previously about sort of stage managing. And it occurs to me that, God, there could be like a niche profession yeah. or a niche role for someone who is totally actually a stage manager. Yeah. In this new world. In America, yeah. for instance, they have, th there's a whole profession of d backgrounding on juries, you know, which is, yeah. which is unknown to us here, yeah. of course. Mm. But I do think, uh, and look, maybe it's because of my misspent youth in the in show business, but there is a, there is a degree of attention to that kind of detail which you're foolish to ignore, mm. you know, because we are all, you know, even if you're a person who is as, you know, old and crusty and an elderly ageing white man who's your sort of archetypical oldie-worldie judge um, who only reads sort of Dickens, <laughs> you are still somebody who, by dint of being born in this yeah. time, perceives things in a televisual way. Mm. Uh, and uh, and I just I, I you will never persuade me otherwise that there is not an opportunity for taking up your client's case in a way which is super advantageous to you and puts your opponent at a disadvantage, um, which you are obliged to think about. Often, my experience of court matters is 
sometimes the successful party is the one that looks the most confident, mm -hmm. the most calm and the most relaxed. And they make their case as simple as possible and the judge or um, decision maker just goes, I trust those people. Yeah. And so you, it's a, you need to work out a way to convey that same level of we've got this, mm -hmm. we know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, and do that in that that televisual way. And if that means getting a consultant in to sit down and go, you need to be here, you need to do this, mm. wear this, do if, that. If the you know if the client is so minded, and if it is a case that is worth enough, yeah, then you're going to spend a lot of money on it anyway. Mm. You may as well do it properly. Yeah. But I think it's as simply as if you're, a, and I suppose I'm speaking to those who are going to be speaking to the court or tribunal, whether you're a solicitor or a barrister or whatever, um, I actually think you've got an obligation to inform yourself about how you look and sound on whatever medium it is you're going to be talking on. So, for mm -hmm. instance, I'm not embarrassed to admit I spent hours before our, our arbitration considering how, how was I framed up? How did my technology work? The microphone has a gain switch. And so if I turn it this way, what does it do? If I turn it that way, what does it do? How does it affect how I sound? You can record yourself and listen to it. Mm. And it's not an act of vanity. It's an act of understanding what are the tools I have at my disposal to persuade the, the, the decider of the issues or the witnesses or my opponent about a particular kind of thing. And... Um, and I think we as lawyers, particularly barristers, are um, reluctant to do that. It seems silly or, um, you know, well, it's not substantial. I, you know, I'm just about the law. Well, that's fine. But these things matter. They matter in a way that you, you don't understand because we've never had to do this before in this way. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really, I can't say it strongly enough. I think you're a fool if you don't turn your mind to these things. Or get a trusted friend, you know, record it, mm -hmm. let somebody else look at it and say, you know, because we, we were saying before we got on, on um, record today, we all hate the way we sound when we listen yes. to ourselves back. Mm. Um, so get somebody who knows how you sound in person and say, listen, do I, you know, how does this sound? In my case, I've got my wife to listen to it. She listens to me more than anybody. Listen, how does it sound? Am I loud enough? Do I sound like I'm lecturing at you? You know, do I sound sort of warm and engaging or do I sound sort of like I'm hectoring? Like what, what how does it sound to you? Um, because that's important. One of the tips I give junior lawyers when it comes to public speaking um, is to record yourself mm -hmm. ahead of time and listen back to the recording. And it makes sense, I think, to do that visually as well. Yeah. Have a record, like have someone record you. How are you going to look? What's the background look like? Mm. Do I look too dark? Can it be made lighter? Like is the back, is the lighting too dark? Mm. But also do you have to do it at different times of the day? So, for yeah. instance, w in, in my setup, so I was at home um, when, when our hearing began, I had initially tested in the morning and the light was great. By the afternoon, the sun was streaming in mm -hmm. and not only was it in my eyes so I couldn't see anymore, but it was sort of washed out so you couldn't actually see me on screen. Yeah. So you, you need to kind of think about what are the times of day that I'm going to be doing this and how will it, um, how will it change as the, as the day progresses. The other thing is um, you have to confront the grim reality of your own habits. Mm. And what I mean by that is I did a, 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 a webcast CPD the other day. I think I told Petrina this story mm. where, you know, I think, again, by dint of my sort of previous careers training, I'm probably conscious of bodily habits in a way that most normal people probably aren't. Mm. 
And I was horrified to discover that while I was sitting introducing this session, I was sort of doing this thing where I was kind of fidgeting with my hand and it was so off-putting. And if I had been in a hearing and I'd sat all day long sort of fidgeting with my hand because I'd never noticed that I did it before, it would have driven somebody crazy. <laughs> mm. And so it is really quite important to scrutinise yourself really in a very exacting kind of way. And the way that, you know, with written documents, we, we care very much about the font that we use and the typespace and, you know, what our corporate style guide tells us it has to look like. We care about these sorts of details, which are aesthetic details in documents. And yet we seem, uh, my experience is people tend not to give enough thought to the presentation aspect of this, both in person, frankly, yeah, but mm. especially on video. There's a there's a real need to, um, to to think about this stuff. And it's interesting, I think, in American advocacy training, there's a lot, um, they're much more sophisticated about physical advocacy than I think we are in Australia. Mm. We're still in the very early stages, at least by reference to my experience of training of barristers in thinking about these things. Mm. Yeah, something else to have to think about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's it. That's the theme of this one. Something else to have to think about. <laughs> Yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the takeaway. <laughs> Excellent. Another tip I would give somebody is if you have a video, you know how in our Zoom calls there's the little video of yourself at the bottom of the screen? Uh-huh. Get rid of that. Yeah. Ah, okay. Absolutely get rid of that yep. because I think it is- You get distracted by your own things. No, I think it is human nature that people focus on that yeah. rather than looking where they should look or rather than looking in the camera. People look, and you see it on Zoom calls all the time. I agree with you. It's not that we're vain. Humans are vain. I just think we have a natural tendency to look at ourselves and go, oh, my God, is that how I really look? Does my lip curl when I say that word? Oh, my God. And before you know it, that's what you're focusing on rather than what you're meant to be focusing on. It's a distraction, isn't it? I mean, uh, when we sit and talk to one another like this, you, of course, from time to time, you think, how am I being perceived by other people? But never because you are confronted by the grim reality of how you look you know, you, you don't really turn your mind to that. No. And, and in that way, you're absolutely right. It's almost impossible at some point not to be distracted by that. And even mm. if it's not in a self-critical kind of way, it's to ensure, do I still look the way I would wish to look? Mm. Um, and if you, if you turn it off, then you can just get to what mm. you would ordinarily do, which is to just talk to people naturally. And then get your colleague to link you if for some reason something's gone awry with That's your right. face. That's <laughs> right. Let somebody, let somebody else interrogate Your face it. is frozen or something else. Exactly. You know, the funny thing is, though, it, it kind of puts me in mind, I remember when I was a, a singer, you know, my teacher used to say to me, when when you go on stage, that's that's not the time to think about technique. Nobody pays you to to watch, nobody pays you to, to watch you think about your technique on stage. They pay you to be entertained. And I think it's a, it's a little bit the same kind of thing. If you are... Distracted by the video of yourself and being um, assessing it in any way, then you are distracted from the thing you are there to do, which is to advocate your client's case. By all means, have somebody else that you know well and trust scrutinise your video and say, listen, you know, you keep pushing your glasses up your nose all the time or you pull at your ear or you look off camera or whatever and listen to those people. Mm. But but don't do it yourself in the moment. I think mm. it's, it's really, well, yeah, it's that's such a good point. Too mm. much to have to think about. I mean, yeah. it's just another thing to have to think <laughs> it's about. It's just another thing to have to think about. Yeah, totally. Yep, absolutely. Totally. That's such a good point. That's a yeah. hashtag for this episode, by the way. Too <laughs> much to think about. Too much to think about. Another thing to think about. It's the, it th- the title of my memoir. <laughs> I 
in the lead up to the start of the hearing, I was amazed at how much time I devoted to this new format mm. and having to think about things I'd never thought about before. Yeah. And I'm certainly not a newbie when it comes to trials and running hearings and in that instructing solicitor role. Was it also the first time for your counsel as well? Were you sort of learning on yes. the journey together? It was yeah. for us and our team. It was a first for all of us. Mm. I mean, I've done electronic trials with doc electronic databases and video evidence um, witnesses giving evidence by video link, done all of that before. Mm. But this whole new virtual hearing, it was a first for all of us. Yeah. And in fact, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I might have been the first person in the entire Brisbane office to run a full trial oh, right. from start to finish in that format. And certainly I hope that this podcast is, is valuable to everyone who's listening out there because, again, you know, it's happening. Mm. Mm. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah. We just got to get on with it. Yeah. And and do it as best we can. And, you know, your first time might be shocking, <laughs> but you get better. Well, that's the thing. That's what the, I think the forum is very forgiving. Yeah. My experience of it has been, whether it's been court or arbitration, we all recognise this is a brave new world. Mm. And we recognise that there are going to be technological glitches. So, in fact, in a way... The, the forum is more forgiving of you than perhaps it would be if you were doing things in the usual kind of way. Yeah. But what I, what I think is interesting, and maybe this says something about my personality, is that it presents to a canny practitioner there's an opportunity in it. Mm. And, and there's a good chance your opponent is less comfortable with it than you are. Or if you can make yourself just a little bit more comfortable with it than your opponent is, there's an advantage to be had in it while the forum is mm. forgiving. And it shouldn't take much. No, that's right. It, it, and it doesn't really. I mean, it's it's just- Turn your mind to it. Turning your mind to it. That's, again, I think that's the second hashtag for this session. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you just have to turn your mind to it. Yeah. Mm. It's not business as usual. Yeah. But it's, it's it can be done. Mm. Uh, and so if you just think about the other person, I mean, it sort of sounds a bit airy-fairy, but it, it's ultimately to your own benefit to mm. turn your mind to these things. Can I ask one question too? Because all three of us, we wear glasses. <laughs> I am curious. You just, just with what you've just said there, I thought, goodness, uh, how often is it the case that we can never see your eyes because the light is flashing into our glasses? And I, to be honest, would not have the faintest idea how you fix that. I'm, I'm going to sound like such a nerd here, <laughs> but I, in fact, had two sets of lights set up at home. Okay. Um, one light was just so that I could see. Mm. The other light was twofold. Its purpose was twofold. One was to ensure that my eyes could be seen all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other was to, and hand in glove with that was to avoid the effect of the natural light moving as the day progressed. Yeah. Again, because I recognised two things. One, the, the light moving as the day progressed was a point of distraction for those that were watching me. But also, you're quite right. If you're wearing glasses and you your eyes can't be seen, it's a subconscious impediment to people establishing rapport with you. Mm -hmm. Over a, over a visual medium like that. And, um, and similarly for cross-examination, if they can't see your eyes, then that's a, that's a big problem. The other thing to think about with glasses, of course, too, is it, it means sometimes that reflected in your lens is whatever's on your screen. Yes. And so you need to turn your mind to, if I've got confidential things on my screen, for instance, <laughs> messages from my instructing solicitor, <laughs> and that can be seen in the reflection, then chances are your opponent Zoom. can see it. <laughs> Yep. You know, it sounds silly, but it, it, it's, no, it's, it's stuff you actually have to think about because if you don't, chances are your opponent is and it's to your disadvantage. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Mm. Hashtag one more thing to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Look, thank you very much, Matthew and Petrina, for joining me today. It's been a fantastic discussion. Really enjoyed hearing your insights into electronic trials and mediations. And I hope for our listeners out there um, that it has been helpful to you. Thanks very much for joining us. Mm.